Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. My name is Zachary Bader-Shamai. And I'm Eddie Meredith. Good to see you're alive, Eddie. I heard you were dealing with a bit of a, a, a deadly virus of some kind. Oh yeah, my voice was uh, pretty weird the last few days and I, I am resting and recuperating, although it'll kind of cut out at times, yes. so bear with us here. Indeed. Uh, we are down to the Vanier Cup week. The UTEC Bowl, the Mitchell Bowl are decidedly over one in a fashion that we expected the other, well, the outcome we expected, the first half very nice. We have Western, we have Laval, the rematch from last year. Eddie, what are you thinking? Oh man, I am so excited. It is, I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be in Quebec City, so that's a, a little bit of home field advantage for Laval. I hope the Western guys are working on their, their silent count because they're going to need it. Yeah. It gets loud. Well, clearly that home field advantage was the determining factor in the UTEC Bowl because otherwise 100%. I think that game was fair game. I think that's clear. <laughs> um, so we're going to go over those two games, do a little setup with the Vanier being this week, but we're going to start off. Normally, we we save these little teasers towards the end, but we're going we're gonna to feed you this juicy bit of brand new breaking information off the bat in terms of the coaching carousel around the OUA. Some hot news off the presses Eddie has. Um, so we'll get into that first off, and um, yeah, let's do it. Let's. So, Eddie, what's the word on the street? What do you got? So, Pat Sheehan, longtime star coach at Queens, has been there since 2000, has quote-unquote, stepped down from Ooh, his... Ooh, baby. But did he step down? No. No, he didn't. Okay. I mean, if you're, if you're going to take any, anything from Ryan Sheehan, his son, offensive coordinator at Calgary's words on Facebook, where he was sort of expressing his displeasure with what's happened. Do we have a quote from Sheehan on this? We do. He says, and I quote, This is a sad day. Today I'm not a Golden Gale alumni. Today I'm a proud son and very pissed off and disappointed Queens grad. Quote, you don't know what you got till it's gone. End quote. Hashtag legend. Ooh, boy. And he is a legend. And he's been there for a long time. He's won a Vanier Cup there. I think he picked up his 100th career win this season. I think it was in the first half of the OUA schedule. Yeah. And, I mean, new athletic director there at Queens now came from Mac. So, or president. Or there, there's some administrative change. I understand looking at the failures of Queens to make the playoffs the last couple years and not sort of having any playoff wins with Nate Hobbs. I understand frustration and disappointment on their end. Uh, as a program, that makes sense. The administration might want to change something up. It's just a different landscape in the OUA right now. It's hard to win in the OUA. And Queens, it's it's upsetting that they, they, they didn't make the playoffs this year to me because they were a very good team towards the end. Mm -hmm. It took them a while to get there. A big year of transition on defense, not really lining up comfortably with what should have been their best year with Nate Hobbs. But these things happen. And I, I sort of – I trust, you know, the product that, that Pat Sheehan will put on the field. I always did. As a, as a player, I knew his teams were going to be well coached. We're going to come out and play very hard, even if they weren't an elite team in the conference. And it certainly is a, a big stake to put in the ground for a new administration to come in and say, yeah, we're going to replace a legendary coach mm -hmm. at the school. So, Well, you also have a situation where, as you mentioned, Queens in the second half of the season a little more so came on very strong. They had arguably, the, you know, now even moving into the playoffs, the closest battle with Western all season long. 
save if you want to, uh, you know, debate the opening game of the season when sure, Carlton took it overtime. But later in the season, when there are fewer excuses baked in ex- for Western, exactly. And Nate Hobbs, despite having really no production from OCQC, and obviously injuries played a massive a factor into that this year. Less production, maybe not no production, but sure. So, yeah, sure. Um, still being one of the top quarterbacks in terms of yards per game, not just in the OUA, across the country. And, you know, as you talked about a little bit, a few times in this year, and as you mentioned, that defense, a lot of turnover, and just getting comfortable. And we've seen with other teams in the OUA where you had some turnover on defense, that takes time to get in your groove, to get that communication down. Yeah, and you know what? And it, it's true. It does take time. You could say, well, they should have had more veterans on their defense. They should have had better players to help Nate. The OUA landscape has shifted such that you have, you know, five years ago, you didn't have Guelph and Carlton. Well, five years ago, you did. Six years ago, seven years ago, Guelph and Carlton weren't competing for the same players. And there was sort of a, a share of top talent that would go to Western and would go to Queens and would go to, you know, Ottawa and McMaster. Now you have Guelph and Carlton really eating into that, taking away some of the guys Western would get. So Western's taking some of the guys Queens would get. Mm-hmm. And and all the while, all the teams are slowly poaching the teams that Laval and just Montreal used to slowly get out of CJEP. Well, a little bit of that too. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the OUA has become sort of a flatter conference in the middle. I mean, we obviously Western was dominant this year. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of the conference, has it ever been this good? Has it ever been this 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 shallow in terms of, between Ottawa, Guelph, Laurier, Mac, Queens, I, I mean, obviously Waterloo, I'm, Water, Waterloo, like Laurier. I'm gonna forget Waterloo just because uh, you know it's a new, it's a new it's, occurrence to throw Waterloo into that. It is it is new to talk about them yeah. as being a part of the great depth of the OUA. Mm-hmm. It's a new OUA in, in that regard, so it's a hard place to win. And and you, I would have thought the logical candidate to replace Patchian when he decided to step down, truly of his own accord, would, would be Ryan. Would be Ryan, his yeah. son. Because Queens is, is sort of, I mean, incestuous is the wrong word, but there are a lot of Queens guys <laughs> at Queens. Uh, you know, when I say just like Queens is, is not inbred, not incestuous, these, these are bad words. These are not words. We've, we've given a very real face to these words. I mean, Game they do lock that Lannister gold. That's, that's it. <laughs> and no, no, red. no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But the, what I'm what I'm getting at is Queens guys are always yeah. going to be at Queens. You know what I mean? When they lost the Pat Tracy, family. they brought in or sorry, when they lost um yeah Tracy, they brought in Greg Marshall, the DC. Well, okay, that's not sort of a traditional Queens guy, but when they lost him, they brought in Beck Manis, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those kind of places where you're always going to have Queens alum coaching Queens. So, well, you also and you know I'll, I'll throw in the connection I have with Guelph with Stu Lang, that new stadium they have at Queens. Heavily funded by Stu himself, despite coaching and investing so much into the Guelph program, but a Queens guy as well. And so there's a little wrinkle. So now we, we look to the succession plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Queens has these new outstanding facilities. They have an AD saying, okay, well, we have this legendary coach, but perhaps his best, <laughs> his golden years are past him, <laughs> to, to just be real tug-of-cheek <laughs> with it. But they think they have a very strong thing to offer a new head coach. I wonder who the next head coach will be. Well, it was not so long ago. I thought, well, if, if Stu Lang had a chance, you know, obviously he's built something wonderful at Guelph, but mm-hmm. you know he would sort of in his heart of hearts also like to do something like that at Queens. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe he does, or maybe he just has a say in sort of where the next search goes. Yeah, I can't see him taking on a, a coaching role, you know, in a more traditional 
sense. But yeah, perhaps sharing the type of commitment he gives with Guelph to help advance that program along. Sure. And yeah. I mean, there, there are some interesting possible head coaching candidates out there that um, a little bit of a little bit of money could go quite a long way towards getting uh, the kind of money that Stu Lang might you know, care to throw around. Obviously, we know about Steph Potasic. He's mm-hmm. available. UBC's offensive coordinator from last year. And then there's uh, Kelly Jeffries, who, you know, was a longtime head coach in the AUS, who uh, wasn't working this year, as far as I know. And then you have, I've heard, Pat Tracy, the defensive coordinator and a Queens guy, but the defensive coordinator at UBC. I hear he might not be back at UBC. That's not confirmed, but that's sort of through the grapevine. Well, wouldn't that be something if they just snagged Tracy and Potasic all in one go? I mean, uh, obviously, one would have to be. Of course, one would have to be the head coach. Yeah. One. You have Tracy as a, as a Queens guy, as a as a Queens. I, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure he graduated from Queens, but of course, we know he's been the defensive coordinator of Queens. Yeah. In the past, I mean, if you're connecting dots, that's a dot that sort of makes a lot of sense. You know, you would expect Beckmanis to stay on board because Beckmanis has become a very good, I think, defensive coordinator and is a good recruiter and a special teams guy. Um, but that's it, just sort of an interesting possibility because outside of those guys um, that we mentioned, Potasic and Kelly Jeffries, there aren't a ton of guys with head coaching experience now. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming, you know, <laughs> I know one guy who just came available with head coaching experience, but I doubt they're going to hire him back. <laughs> that's, of course... Patchian himself, so that's, 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 I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I know, first. I know. I just kind of got lost in the rabbit hole there. Um, but then there, I, I've heard some whispers also that that O'Shea in Winnipeg, the Blue Bombers head coach, there might be, I don't know, there might be a chance he wants to that's leave spicy. Winnipeg and maybe, I don't know, maybe coach Guelph? I mean, there's the obvious connection with Guelph, him having played his whole – university career there yeah and well, and his son playing there and, now. and yes so absolutely double connection so and guelph you know possibly having the gold to entice a man like that yeah so if that happens then you're talking about so you have mac and queen's job openings i don't know what's happening at mac everyone is going to assume it's fantastic until you hear definitively it's not maybe queens and mac will just switch you'll see knox wind up in kingston and you'll see wouldn't that be uh, something? End up in Hamilton. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I, I'm all for it. I Why think, not? I think they're both both are guys deserving of jobs. I, yeah. Their resumes speak for themselves. For for Patchen, of course, and then Knox, you have to sort of extrapolate a little bit because he hasn't had, he didn't have the most successful tenure as a head coach. Although you wouldn't call it unsuccessful. It's just it's not like he's won Vanier Cups as a head coach at DC. But is he where did as he a, made his money. Correct, a fantastic yeah. defensive coordinator, and he's. He's proven to be a good head coach. I mean, you can't you can't take away the record he's had. Uh, he had last year at McMaster. So, yeah. You know, I almost wonder if with some of these teams, obviously Max a particular situation where they let him go for, you know, reasons that we won't rehash because we talked about it a lot already this year. But as you mentioned, with an evolving OUA, you know, it no longer being a select few teams that will kind of compete at the top and everyone else just, you know, Toilet, uh, you know, just in 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 the bottom, just not toilet. Really in yeah, I toilet. tried to go for something a little more, you know, yeah, nuanced, just flush. But I wonder if with an evolving OUA, whether if programs are gonna treat it as it's a, a new age, and with that we need 
new faces to lead the way. You need energy. You need you need recruiters who are out on the trail working hard. That's kind of one of the things that you can't that it hasn't that that <clears throat> Yeah. Run that back. You you need young, fresh coaches who are gonna hit the recruiting trail very hard. But that's not a criticism of Pat Sheehan, because I saw him out at a high school game just like Two weeks ago. What were you doing at a high school game two well, weeks ago? Well, it was my high school they were playing. So oh, okay. I went, out, went, out, went, out, went out to watch. They didn't Go do Saints. very well, but it happens. Anyways, long and the short of it is, saw Patchy in there. So it's not as though he's sort of become a head coach who's sort of resting on his laurels. I mean, you could you could have criticisms of Queen's lack of success in the last couple of years. Fine. There's room for criticism, but still recognizing that he was a great coach and, and very, very willing and eager in hitting the recruiting trail. So, uh Interesting, interesting thing. I mean, we, we said if it's not one of those established coaches, it's probably Ryan Sheehan, except Ryan Sheehan's sort of pretty upset with the Queen's administration right now. So does that maybe mean that he wouldn't take that job if he was offered it? I don't know. And then you have to wonder about Steve Snyder, the offensive coordinator at Western. Obviously, the success he's having. Please, don't go anywhere, Steve. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, well, already- he's, he's an obvious candidate. Well, and we're seeing the product of a Western coach, an established Western coach, taking a head coaching role. Of course, I'm referring to Chris Bertoia moving over to Waterloo. And obviously, when you score Trey Ford, Tyler Ternowski, some of those other top players they have on their team, that's going to help you quite a bit. Obviously, well, having the, the right offensive coach- line he's built. I mean, just everything about the way Burt's done it at Waterloo is you couldn't have predicted this success. Even I, you know, even someone who believed in Burt probably as much as anyone could, which is a lot because amazing man, amazing coach, even I didn't think his success would be this resounding this quickly. Like, I sort of, I think, I expected this to be a winning season for them. But just that. Yeah. Not a, you have this dynamic, amazing offense and some of the best players in the country. In that same vein, a Western positional coach who is a good recruiter becoming a great head coach in this conference, J.P. Cercelli is another guy on the Western staff who, I mean... He's proven he's a good head coach in the OVFL ranks. He's gone two undefeated seasons winning the, uh, or I guess it's called the OPFL at this point. Yeah, the Super League, whatever it is. The new Super League. He's done two undefeated seasons, won Mm. championships in both. I mean, no doubt in my mind that he's another guy who will be a head coach in this conference sooner than later. I'll happily throw in Matt Nesbitt's name into that fold, a player, a guy I played with. A little younger, you know, still still cutting his teeth a little bit. Sure, but once again, if you refer to, if we're going to use success as a coach in you know you know lower leagues than just OUA, he has that in his arsenal as well. But look, yeah, sure, you're looking Extre- more towards an the extremely future. promising young coordinator. Yeah, um, just I, yeah, no, absolutely, he's someone to watch out for in the future yeah. years. And then you have sort of more established guys like Flax at or uh, Tom Flaxman at, at McMaster, who uh, was a part of the Western coaching staff when I was at Western. I coached with him in the OVFL as well. Mm-hmm. You know, another guy who I expect to be a head coach someday in this in this conference, but I just don't know where and when, right? I mean, and that's the thing. You have these jobs. These are marquee jobs, Queens, Mac, and Guelph. Assuming the Guelph job is open, which I guess we don't even yeah, it's, technically know. It's not really know. fair to speculate on that at the moment. I, I, I think it is fair to speculate because I just have no, – I mean, I like or it's it's fair to question what's going on there. Sure, yeah, what they're going to do next. I don't year. know what they're going to do. I yeah. mean, I know, I know Todd Galloway did a pretty good job this year, but there are also – criticisms to be laid at, at Guelph store. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, it was far from a perfect season for them, no doubt. No, you noticed. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, it, It's a very interesting time in the OUA. So we don't have any of the low-end 
when I say low end, I'm just meaning U of T, York, Windsor, no shot at them. I mean, they're just – this is not a shot to say that it's low end jobs. Those are the losing teams of the conference. Yeah. And technically, yeah, so is Queens. But I think we know it's a very storied program. So you expect them to get a big-time head coach. On that point, I was just on the OUA website not too long ago, and I happened upon – they have a whole section for careers and job openings. And I forget what position it was specifically, but I did see something involved, like a, a, a coaching position. I don't think it wasn't head coach or anything like that, but like a coaching staff position for York on this page. And I was like, I feel like you wouldn't see that if there was an opening. At, like, I don't think we're going to be seeing. That's the not only- how you're advertising head coaching. Yeah, opening, so. I don't think Queens is going to be doing that in the near future. Or I don't think Max going to be posting anything that's kind of a nice little handout by the OUA to try and help out York in that regard. Once again, I don't know what the position was specifically, but. You know, no doubt it's a very interesting time in the OUA. Um, but sh- should we take this point now to talk about the one remaining team we have in the OUA still competing for that Vanier, your Western Mustangs? Sure, let's do it. All right, so they were playing at home against the Saskatchewan Huskies, took the game by a score of 47 24. Eddie, what was your take on this one from the jump? Well, I mean, they weren't really going anywhere in the first half, but in the second half, they said, mush. <laughs> and those Huskies got dragged around the field by the horses. Yeah, the, the metaphor's lost. The the story's lost. But uh, the first half, wow. I mean, I was I half. was scared watching the first half because I know Western's great, but Sask was executing so well. And they were, again, formations that Western doesn't see a ton of, that yeah. 5R formation. Obviously, Colton Clawson, what a game he had. Really, just any time they got the ball in his hands, he was hitting on plays. Like, whether it was in the return game, my goodness, he had some nice returns. Obviously, in the air, that one little pitch shovel pass they had. Oh, man. This was a game with a lot of great players on both teams, but it seemed like it was the very best players on each team that really made names for themselves Mm -hmm. in this game. So, on offense for Saskatchewan, that's Colton Clawson and Tyler Chow. Colton Clawson, kind of, you know, a short receiver, but he's a receiver who is – I mean, if you creep his Instagram page, you can see the kid can hang clean 315 pounds, three reps, and deadlift over 600. He runs really well. He cuts really well. He's just a great player. He's got fantastic hands. Everything about his game is great. He makes an impact as a receiver when they hand him the ball out of the backfield, when he gets the ball kicked to him in the punting game or the kickoff game. And he had like 130 yards and two touchdowns on the day. So, his impact was obvious. Well, he's got a great pair of hands, but he doesn't always need both of them because he had that one catch, I think in the third, was it? Or maybe it was late. I think, yeah, I think it was in the third where absolutely covered. I forget who the defender is from Western. Clawson's falling down and just, I don't even know how he saw the ball coming in, just corralled it in with one hand, an absolute weapon. And yeah, as you mentioned as well, Tyler Chow having a good game for himself as well, finishing 21 attempts on the ground for 143 yards and one TD, and one fumble that they credit him with the fumble, it was that in the first quarter, which led to Western's opening touchdown, it kind of looked like, I mean, I guess they put it on Chow. It looked just kind of like a miscommunication in the handoff between him and uh, Siemens. Yeah, it looked like Siemens was kind of trying to pull the ball, and it was a little like it was just really late in the mesh. Yeah, I don't know who it was for Western. They had someone coming hard off the edge, so I don't know if they were just kind of, uh uh-oh, trying to hurry things up, and it got things... um, messed up in there but that led to western's opening touchdown which matched sask because they started the game off scoring getting the game rolling with the seven nothing 
on the touchdown to Clawson and out of that five wide set, as we talked a lot about last week. And, you know, for me going into this game, that was one of the biggest things to watch, not just that they're using that five wide, but how it was going to impact Western's defense, specifically the linebacking position, because that's where their that's where their bread is buttered defensively. That's obviously, you know, Frazier Sopic, Michael Moore, Philip Dion, but those guys balled out this whole game. Yeah, they really did. And I mean, I think Phil and Michael Moore were, were I mean, they're very good players, but they weren't, you know, making a ton of noise. Frazier, though, on the other hand, oh my God, like there were times where I was like, he's making every single play. I think, yeah, I think he led the game with 11 tackles, something like that, credited with a half sack in the game as well. Oof, all over the field. Everywhere, right? And, and just like had almost interceptions, had maybe two almost mm. blocked punts. One of those guys who, again, we've talked about, he's, he's first team all almost because he's, <laughs> he's as, well as, as well as probably being a first team all Canadian and he was, you know, the OUA most de- outstanding defensive player. He's a guy who's been so close to getting just ridiculous stats all year. And uh, in this game, yeah, 11 tackles, yeah, the, the half sack. But several of those tackles for a loss, not noted here. Um, just very, very impactful plays. And a very good running game. This is a great offensive line. We commented on that before. So they, they, they like to run five-hour sets. They can still run the ball. Yeah. Tyler Chow was, I mean, I think we both noted he was, that's a pretty special running back. I mean, We've seen pretty special running backs in the OUA, but in terms of fifth-year guys who are so much of their team between Tyler Chow and Colton Clawson, that's that's the majority of Saskatchewan. So Tyler Chow with 21 attempts for 143 yards, good for an average of 6.8 on the day. A little bit misleading. We talk about it all the time. There's one really long run. That was really all the scoring that Sask – well, not really. That was literally all the scoring Sask did in the second half was yeah. – that 71-yard touchdown run. Uh, but if you take that away, it's still a, it's still not like an ineffective down. Well, I guess it'd be ineffective if you take that away. But it becomes he ran, the ball, he ran the ball effectively yeah. in the first half. Yeah. He did. He didn't run the ball as effectively in the second half, save that one play. You can tell this guy's a great running back. So, Well, in terms of Saskatchewan's production in the second half versus the first half, I, uh, I pulled a quote from head coach Greg Marshall from an article – it was in the Toronto Star following the game that just has me in stitches. Uh, quote, their offense is good and their quarterback is as good as we've played and we shut them down in the second half. And it's just that it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a bit of bravado, but it's just the truth. It's not really. I mean, that's, that's just straight up true. They have yeah. one great offensive play in the second half and that is it. Yeah. And those happen. I mean, you're going to occasionally just be able to run through a couple tackles and run through some traffic and, People are going to get well blocked up again. Good offensive line, we know that. Yeah, and that and that Chow touchdown came in the midst of an incredible sequence of offensive plays, specifically running plays, where you had Alex Taylor bust off a remarkable run, where you could see one missed tackler for for Saskatchewan, but otherwise it kind of looked like he was pretty well just untouched all the way to the end zone. Then you had the Tyler Chow big run. And then on, I think it was the following Western drive where once they, they get down within the 20 and Alex Taylor puts on a Madden-esque just performance, you know, the spin, the juke, you know, he's hitting all the buttons on the controller for the touchdown as well. An incredible game because when you look at the stats throughout this season, you know, it really, it's been all about Cedric Joseph running the ball for them, you know. 
you know, leading the nation in touchdowns, second in average, um, average yards per game. But, you know, as you kind of remarked when we were talking about this beforehand, you know, Taylor was out there reminding people who the hell he is. You forgot about Alex Taylor, didn't you? You guys, this whole conference (laughs) forgot. Like he's, he's quiet for like a few games. People are like, well, Alex Taylor, like whatever. He's just Western's (laughs) leading all time rusher. It's no no big deal. No, Alex Taylor was insane this game. I mean, the cuts he was putting on, running at complete full speed, protecting the ball. This guy played this, – this is one of the best games I've seen him play, and, I, and I've seen him play quite a few of his games. In fact, I've seen him play every single game he's played at Western. So, I, I mean, like, there's really not much you can do when a guy's playing like that. He's making really good defenders miss, mm-hmm. like grabbing air, breaking, breaking, breaking at um, contain angles, like, so easily. And just, again, everything he's doing at full speed. Like, yeah. The way he's spinning, the way he's juking, the way he's cutting, it's all just – it's lossless in terms of his speed. So, wow, what a game! And I mean, yeah, he he made he made Cedric Joseph look pedestrian by comparison. Yeah. And I mean, Cedric is like, <laughs> well, he, he was the first team OUA All Star running back. He's incredible. So like, still finished with six sixty three yards and a touchdown for himself as well. Like, yeah, and more of that earlier in the game, right? Yeah. So when when sort of when Western was still sort of feeling out Sask and figuring out how they wanted to get things blocked up and formationally what they wanted to run. Uh, that's what you saw. And then we also saw Alex take some handoffs as a W. So as a receiver in the formation, motioning into the backfield, um, you know, just as the ball is snapped and, and taking the handoff at full speed and then having Cedric motion out as a blocker. So they're, they're trying to get Alex touches. They know when they get the ball in his hands, special things will happen. And those special things happened mm-hmm. quite a bit. And obviously, whether you're an OUA team, Can West, RCQ, AUS, you know Western can run the ball. And obviously, the stats and the performances by these backs speak for themselves. But one of the most telling things was how effective Western was using play action in the first half without even having established the type of running production they did You know, come the end of the game, which was fantastic because it really got to show off Chris Merchant's arm. He had the first touchdown, McMaster, nice little deep slant over the middle, you could see the linebackers just stepped up so hard. And as we talked about with the RPOs, it doesn't just give you that extra attacker in the run game, but when you can have those linebackers stepping up, it gives you better angles as well in your passing game. And then on the second touchdown to McMaster, the play action roll out deep corner. And this all coming after we thought merchant died in front of our eyes on the field on like their one of their first drives. Yeah, so like, this is a really good test against his defensive line. So it was impressive that Western could establish the run. It is a 3-4 front, so you sort of expect him to be able to establish the run even with good defensive linemen because there's more room off the line. But Evan Macabrota, their elite nose tackle, he's playing nose because, again, it's a 3-4. He's sort of built more like a 3-tech. Had a couple of hits on Merchant that just, whoa. Like, I mean, Merchant's a tough kid. Those hits hurt yeah so we thought at one of the second of the two that he got we were like thinking i mean when i was watching the game the people i were watching it with were like well okay kevin john let's see what you got the backup yeah. quarterback for western very good backup quarterback but you're you're obviously going to be very very concerned when you see your starter in you know writhing in pain yeah. so <laughs> I, wow. thought he, I thought he was just trying to bring planking back the way he was laying there for a second because oh. I, I guess, uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he got sort of just crunched or if he lost. Yeah. I mean, I think I think his explanation was he just got the wind knocked out of him. Well, the cold definitely doesn't help. No, I mean it was, and this was a, a you know, conditions that definitely favored Saskatchewan, but I you got to give a lot of credit to Sass defensive line. I mean, they, I thought they played certainly of the guys who we knew going into the game, Macabroda and Karankowitz, they were very good. Karankowitz yeah. had two sacks on the day. Macabroda arguably more impactful, but at a position where you know the Western game plan was, let's not let this guy beat us. And he almost did. I mean, if, if a defensive tackle gets no stats on the day but knocks your, de- your starting quarterback out of the game, it's a win. He beats you. Yeah. But uh, he didn't because Merch came back, and, you know, McAbroda was held to just two and a half tackles on the day. But, wow, what a special defensive tackle. So the fact that Western could really run the ball on them in the second half that was really nice to see. Mm-hmm. And I thought Dimitri Pronko played a very nice second half against Macabrota, who is – that's a handful. I mean, whenever you have a solo block on him, they're asking for as much as they can ask for in a player. And, you know, we've seen him perhaps be the weak spot on that offensive line for Western. Not to say a bad player, but, you know, in comparison with some of the sure, other it's guys a very, they have It's a very there. good offensive line. Yeah. You have two all-conference players beside him and, you know, an all-conference tackle, an all-rookie tackle. I mean, it's a very good offensive line. I think at times – I think Dimitri would be the fifth guy on that offensive line. Yeah, I'm thinking back to even the like the Carlton playoff game. We even see times where it looked like he was getting a little bit exposed. Obviously, Carlton is a fantastic yeah, defensive we're, line. We're talking well. about so we're seeing two trends. best defensive lines that have played this yeah. year. <laughs> so we're seeing trends here. Yeah, yeah I mean, players uh, a lot of a lot of players have a way of getting exposed against good defensive <laughs> line. And I can remember going up against Cam Walker and. <laughs> And Quaker Botang, and I felt pretty exposed at times yeah. too. So don't worry, I have a yeah. whole highlight film of of those instances happening to myself as well. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I was pretty impressed with the way Western eventually did run the ball and the game that Merchant played. That was incredibly gritty. So he was throwing strikes and he threw his strikes to Harry McMaster, who played what a his, game, his man. best game all season, his best game all season, and the kind of guy who can be quiet because Western doesn't throw the ball a ton, usually spreads it around. They didn't spread it around in this game. This was this was all hairy in this game. Yeah, what do you have? Eleven catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, and I pulled up like his top, you know, uh, stat lines from the season. You have Windsor three receptions for 106, two touchdowns. Laurier six receptions, 145, two touchdowns. The playoff game against Guelph six receptions for 113. Yeah, like big players stepping up in big time, you know, situations. He's just an unreal receiver. Like if you watch him, I. I don't know what the right comparison is to make with him. He runs perfect routes. He knows exactly like – he just knows exactly how far he needs to go to get a DB to turn his hips, to be running downfield before he stops. It's everything about his game is, is great to watch. And, ob- yeah, I mean, fantastic hands. Like He's going to bring it in if you get the ball near him. So, yeah. what a game he played. And then the other receivers for Western, obviously quieter on the day. You had Brett Ellerman with two receptions for 30 yards. And uh, Malik Bessinger with one for 40. That was a screenplay, obviously. Oh, a nice little play. screen. Yeah. I, I can guarantee you these guys are going to see a lot more in terms of targets and receptions next week against Laval. Because yeah. they're going to have to spread it around. And they will. And Laval is going to play a lot of man coverage, uh, I think. I mean, that's what they did against Western last year. So they're a pretty basic team in terms of what they do. They just sort of expect to execute better than other teams. And this might be one of the few teams that has a chance of out-executing Western in terms of just the basic stuff. We'll see. I mean, that's that's obviously a challenge to Western. It's a challenge for Laval, too. These are the two best teams in the country. We thought so probably. We've, we've thought so probably for the entire season, and we were proven right. 
big bold prediction that Laval and Western <laughs> would be the best two teams this year. Yeah, hot takes everywhere. Uh, for Saskatchewan, a uh, little tidbit I came across in doing a little bit of research for this is that this Mitchell Bull appearance, though, despite the loss, is actually the furthest they've advanced in 12 years. Uh, and you know, undoubtedly, we, you know, we've spoken about some of the top talent on this team. Very strong program. So without a doubt, despite the loss, and as we mentioned, that first half was looking like this was going to go either way. And so, you know, big ups to this program for this season they had being big underdogs just to get here out of the Hardy Cup playoffs, taking down Calgary, you know, a week and a half ago, whatever it is now, and, and putting up, you know, a brilliant fight in that first half against Western. Yeah, and I, it'll be a while probably until they're back here again because they're going to lose Kyle Simeons and uh, – or, or Siemens. How do we say that one? Yeah. We'll go with Siemens. Kyle Siemens and Tyler Chow are both fifth-year guys. They're going to be gone. And we didn't really even comment on it. Kyle, Kyle Siemens had a pretty good day. In the first half, he was executing extremely well. 247 yards and uh, uh, 24 completions on 32 attempts, two touchdowns on the day. Felt like most of that came in the first half, or at least most of his completions came in the first half. Like It really felt like they couldn't really miss in the first half. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the second half, obviously, it, it trailed off just a little bit. But it will be a while, I think, until Sass gets back here. It is a great offensive line. It is a young offensive line. And they have a head coach now who you know we know, Scott Flory, is – a legend in Canadian football, the longtime offensive lineman for the Alouettes and multi-time most outstanding Canadian offensive lineman. So I, I think we expect big things out of Sask for the next several years, but not maybe getting out of their conference. Yeah. I think I think we expect them to be a good team, but not a Hardy Cup champion team do you again have, soon. Do you mentioned with, with Chow and, and Siemens, do you have Clausen's eligibility? I think he's in year three, but I don't oh, know that for sure. Damn. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. This guy, this guy's the real deal, man. He's like a I don't want to say he's like a thicker Tyler Turnowski, but <laughs> but in a way he is. I mean, in terms of guys who Oh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to creep his Instagram because that sounded incredible what you talked about that he does in the weight room. Oh Holy yeah, he smokes. He's a he's a monster, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's in year three. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, what damn, a guy, damn, right? Damn. Oh Shit. my gosh. All right, let's keep it. So this is East West year, so this will be an opportunity for him to go against the very best in the country, and yeah, or I mean, another opportunity because he just got he to just play Western. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how that sort of goes, and obviously his uh, his draft stop next year will be, uh, well, it should be pretty high. Yeah. So with that win, Western is now advancing into, I believe, it's their fourteenth Vanier Cup, which leads all programs across the country only uh you know second to or pardon me in second place behind them is laval with 12 and they got there by taking out saint effects in the utech bowl on the other side of the bracket so let's put a wrap on the western saskatchewan game and let's move on final score in this game the laval rouge or 63 saint effects 62 no no uh, no in the 50s. No. Uh, but it was a good offensive day. Uh, I mean, that's up for interpretation. Is it, though? No, it's uh. not. Uh, final score, Laval 63, St. Effects 0. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think, um, you know, I think... 
Yeah. Let's let's go over some. How do we like? I guess they had a lot of tackles. Santa Fex. You'd hope so. That might be the highlight of their day. Is they had a lot of players with like four or more tackles. Okay. Which is great. Um, you know, I think you got to be happy when you can limit Lavelle to uh, three hundred plus yards rushing and three hundred and thirty. Uh, 350 yards passing and five touchdowns. I think you've got to take – they they got an interception off Laval. That's true. Which off, is great. Off of Mr. Richard himself. Hugo. Hugo. Um, who – Hugo fit, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one interception for Hugo, but I'd say his stats otherwise perhaps made up for it. Going 22 or 27, 327 yards, and uh, not one, not two, not three, not four – Five touchdowns on the day. Five. Five touchdowns. Were we wild? <laughs> Sank, as they would say in Laval. That's exactly how they would say it. Well yeah. done. Uh, <laughs> he basically looked like he was ready to go play in the Chiefs-Rams game last night. Yeah, it seems about fitting. That Oh, my God. What a game. I didn't watch it. Should we just talk about that instead of this? <laughs> I mean, you didn't watch it, but I can just tell you. Oh, please. I'll happily listen. Yeah. So it was a great game. If you didn't watch it, if you did really didn't watch it, go watch the highlights. And then maybe try to find like a rebroadcast and just watch it. It's in, the in best. Ca- it's the best football game I've ever seen in the NFL. Once again, we're referring to the Monday Night Football game, not the UTEC Bowl. Correct. Don't watch that. If you find a rebroadcast of the UTEC Bowl, burn, burn it. it burn take it. the ashes, throw them in the ocean. Yeah. Um, we're just gonna pretend it didn't happen. Laval got a bye, and they will be playing Western next week. Now, you know, I think you said suck a luck, Chuck. They're running back for Santa Fax. Yeah. Led the nation in rushing yards this year? Yeah, top leading. It's a very good rusher. offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, with the caveat being, we don't know how they would fare against elite competition. And well, this is a very interesting topic right now, especially if you're going on you know, Canadian football Twitter, U Sports in particular, a very hotly debated topic of what can, what needs to and can be done to resolve this issue. Because if you go through the last, I think, 11 appearances of an AUS team in you know, a national semifinal game, and that's 11 appearances since the last time an AUS team appeared in the Vanier Cup, with the exception of maybe one game, they're all losses. They're all losses. And with the exception of maybe one of those games, they're routes. They're just absolute beatdowns. And it becomes an interesting topic, too. And I'm not going to... By no means do I want this to seem like throwing shade on the uh, Sokolakchuk because I by no means can't – I haven't watched enough St. Effects games to be able to just judge his talent on its own. But when you look at the fact that he is the top rusher in the nation, it makes you think a little bit. How deserving is that? I don't think you have to beat around the bush. I mean, like we know he's not one of the best running backs in the country, right? Don't we know that? I think we know that. He can't be, can he? I guess he can. I, that's the thing is like if you put him, if you if you put him into Western, what happens then? But then of course you have him playing alongside the so the other talent there. I mean, we talked about with Clawson going to uh, you know presumably going to East West this year. It'd be crazy if we don't see him there. I guess that's really where the importance of those All Star games and those bowl games really becomes important because you see the best of the best playing with each other and against each other. So if there was any you know, Listen, hesitation. Great, and great running backs like Sukalukcha can have terrible games against Laval. And it doesn't mean they're not a good running back. It might mean that their offensive line just couldn't handle what the defense was was throwing at them. And 
I think we know that that might have been a possibility with the sort of the defense that Laval has. Yeah, it. I mean, but it just makes you kind of curious when he's averaging, like we mentioned, a, a you know a nation high 126 yards per game on the ground, finishes 18 attempts, 46 yards, no TDs. Well, that's obvious as there's no TDs scored or points of any you know manner. Scored. But if you had told me that he had back. scored a TV and somehow they had had negative six or seven points somehow awarded to them for something i would say well i guess i mean <laughs> you, i thought it's, it's that kind of day i think tv is actually what slipped out of your mouth there when you meant to say scored a td which i maybe. thought well maybe he kicked the halftime field goal where you hit a 50 yard field goal it's, get yourself it's the a tv TV. exactly a tv yeah td obviously td is what i meant to say yeah, yeah. so this game obviously a route i don't know really what we can talk about on this game it's, it's it makes it hard to even judge Laval in that regards too. Like, great, you beat up on an inferior opponent, you know. And if, if anything, it's interesting when you look at the trajectory of both Western and Laval in terms of when you look at their conference championship games, it was a much harder victory for Laval to earn in getting to this UTEC Bowl than it was for Western to get to the Mitchell Bowl. And while ultimately Western won fairly decidedly in that game we talked about that was a very competitive first half and it was probably one of their most you know the best challenge one of the best challenges they've had all year whereas for Laval this is one of the easiest routes they've had all season how that's going to affect their mentality moving into the Vanier with you know considering how that game ended for Western on a on a very high note for them but infinitely more adverse than what Laval had to go through this past week. Well, and but I mean, is it really all that adverse if you don't suffer any injuries and you get a chance to cut your teeth against a better opponent than you've seen all year and it's sort of as a nice warm-up game and you you realize that you can come out after half in conditions that aren't great and beat the, the snot out of Saskatchewan? Because again, it was 30-7 to in that second half. It was 17-17 at halftime. Yeah. 30-7 to in that second half. If you can go 30-7 to and a half with Sask, well, I mean, that's that's an impressive feat. So I think, to be honest, I think this is a better path forward. like For for, for Western. For Western. Oh, no, I 100% agree. But yeah. That's why I'm saying that this almost is, if you're Laval, it's like you almost want to ride the high of taking out your arch nemesis in Montreal and just go straight to the championship. Because what's, this, what's yeah. this game do for you? What? No, nothing. But, I mean, also the flip side is they got to test out maybe new components to their game. And – Talking to some Western guys, I think there was a chance that Laval wants to throw a lot of short passes against Western, and so they were they were sort of playing around with that against uh, Santa Fe, and that's sort of what this allows for is a, a dress rehearsal. So you can make a case either way. Maybe this is beneficial because you can do whatever you want to do. You can put misleading stuff on film if you want. If you want to just sort of start showing formations that you've never used True. before, yeah. have a defense spend all week trying to adjust to those, and then go back to sort of your more typical stuff, or play another formation you've never used before if you want to establish tendencies, say in terms of when you're motioning in this way, what you're doing as an mm-hmm. offense, or if you're bringing in extra guys, if you're bombering, extra, bombering in extra players, which is a motion you can do in the backfield, before the snap, what are you doing? You can break all those tendencies. You can set them up just to break them. So there is a chance to play some sort of mental mental games with western you know what i'm actually i'm actually buying what you're selling me there because not only was sokolakchuk playing below his season average the leading rusher in this game alexis cote i'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation finished the game with 27 attempts 
207 yards and three touchdowns on the season. And to, to get these stats, I had to go to the RSCQ website, which is a terrible, terrible, dark place. It's a terrible, yeah, don't it's go there. hard to navigate. And it's also in French, which just makes it all the more <laughs> tricky for me. But on, according to the website, for the season, he averaged 27 yards per game, no touchdowns on the season. So maybe that's part of the formula that you're talking about in terms of, hey, let's just feed this guy. And maybe they'll spend all week prepping for a guy that we're not going to feed the ball once in the Vanier. Who knows? But we'll see how that plays out. But um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, they're wily at Laval. Like, they're going to do some interesting <laughs> stuff. They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna find a way to mess around with Western's head. I mean, I hope. And it's in Quebec City. So they will have the advantage of noise. They will have the advantage of bitter cold, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I, not that Western can't play in a cold, but they haven't played in that kind of cold for a while. So, I mean, it's going to be an amazing game, and I'm very excited. There's so much bad blood, too. I mean, I know yeah. I know it's going to be just heated. What's cold yet heated? Mm, fire and ice. Mm. I like it. How many Game of Thrones references does that make for this episode? Not enough. Not enough. We'll just turn this into a Game of Thrones podcast once the season's done. But, you know, it's going to be a hard return. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still keep the name the same. But... I guess this shouldn't really surprise me since these are two out-of-conference teams, but with Western and Laval, their record in head-to-head matchups in Vanier's only two appearances against each other, the record being one-and-one. Western, of course, taking it last year by the final of, uh, well, what was it, 39-17, and then the last time they matched up 10 years ago, back in 08, Laval taking out one 44-21. So it's it's interesting for as much as we talk about these two teams going into each season, we're assuming Western Laval. No hot takes there. But it's it's almost a shame that we don't get to see these teams actually play more. I mean, there's almost there's, it creates a bit of a mystique perhaps around this game. Like we finally get to see, you know, the purple ponies, the rouge or face off, and it creates this amazing uh game, or what will hopefully be a great game. But it's such a shame that we don't get to see them play more often. You know, and you wonder, like, would it be even a better game if we got to see them play more often? Because then there's more of a true rivalry, right? Yeah. And it's not, you know, when, when Pittsburgh plays Cincinnati or or Baltimore, that's when you have a great rivalry game. It's not when they play some good team from across the country they never play. Yeah. I'm referring to the Pittsburgh Steelers of the NFL, just in case you weren't following. <laughs> it's about it's about those true rivalry games. When Hamilton plays Toronto, when, um, when Edmonton plays Calgary or... Yeah. Winnipeg plays Sask, and the CFL perhaps is a bad example because everybody knows everybody in the CFL. Yeah, it's you're, a you're small gonna, community. Yeah, I mean those are more geographic rivalries. But I would, I'd love to see Laval play Western in the regular season. Yeah, I'd love to see them play Montreal and Calgary and Sask. And of course, I know there's a possibility that there's, you know, a national realignment that would allow that to happen. We're not going to get into that right now because we don't have time. But just, I would love to see better games played throughout the year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I mean, I, I think U Sports, OUA watchers across the country are just praying for that to happen because, you know, we talk about so many of these just strange things in terms of national standings, in terms of who are the national leaders and stats, but, oh, if they play in this conference or that, like, what does this mean? What does that mean? This would just give us such a better reading of the, the true strength of teams across the country, but obviously we go down that rabbit hole for hours on end, so we won't... We won't do it too much, but I guess it's just transition a bit into the Vanier Cup preview because I don't really want to talk about the UTech Bowl anymore. I don't know what else there is to talk about it. 
for Western going into this game. They took it last year, which it's hard. It's hard within a season to beat a team twice. When we talk about championships, I can only imagine what it would be like to topple the same opponent year after year. But you have to have confidence in Western that the offensive and defensive players from last year's Vanier are still wearing the purple and silver for you. Well, you have the offensive MVP and the defensive MVP of Western back, and they're both playing at those MVP levels, mm-hmm. those two being Chris Merchant and Fraser Sopic. In case you hadn't figured that out. In case you didn't <laughs> know who we were talking about. These two players played arguably their best games in the Vanier Cup last year, and, I mean, you, you can't overlook the contributions of the people who've moved on, Jean-Gabriel Poulain, Nick mm. Vannon, yeah. Uh, two guys in particular, you know, two linebackers. But, of course, Western has replaced linebacker pretty well. Guys like Jesse McNair at free safety, pretty well replaced by Danny Valente. Uh, some of the defensive backs who were lost, I think Jordan Bolia is, is another one who comes to mind after Jesse McNair. Pretty damn good. Well, they've done a pretty good job of replacing him too. So you have to sort of and, – and, I mean, there are other guys we can talk about. Just those are the quick hits. Western has a very good team. It's a different team. How will that match up against this Laval team? That's the question, right? You never really know. Mm-hmm. Every year is a different team. Even if you have the same players, it's a different team. You know, it's one of the things I hate about when we talk about, well, Western, you know, doesn't usually do this well. Well, maybe a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, but guess what? Those things change. All sorts of things change. So I think, I think Western will play well in the snow. I think they play well against great competition. I think they play well in the second half. Last year, they played really well in the first half in most games. This year, I think they're a second-half team. I look forward to a very tight Vanier Cup. Will the offensive line be able to handle Matthew Betts? Well, you have a first-year offensive tackle on the right side. You have an OUA all-star on the left side, Dylan Giffen. He was there last year. Matthew Betts didn't have any sacks last year, even while one of the tackles, David Brown, played most of the game with a torn-up knee. <laughs> Incredibly, I don't know how you do that. Matty Betts had no sacks. This year, I would still bet he's going to have some sacks. He's the best defensive lineman in the country by Did a mile. Did you say you'd bet? I would bet. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> really no. So, and then they have you know Vincent Desjardins, a defensive tackle. So, Shit, man, like that's a great defensive front. Keon uh Harley Mana, I think is how you say his last name. One of their linebackers is great. I think they have Eau Claire back at yeah, Sam. I like think he's still there. Great. Emile Chenevere on the back end is, is a great player. Everything about this team is good. So this is gonna be such a great matchup. I don't know, I don't know what else to say. Very they look very vanilla to me, which is great because you get to just see can you just beat a team that is mm-hmm. man for man as good or better than you? What I think will be interesting is I'm, I'm sure they would say not better. <laughs> what, what I think will be interesting is with Laval having, you know, two, usually three matchups against Montreal in their season, a lot of those games end up being, as we saw this year, those tightly contested, low-scoring ball games. I, I don't know exactly what it is about these clubs, but that's seemingly the norm. You rarely see just bl- big shootouts out of Monday Night Football. We just... Well, I didn't see, but those you know big shootout games between those two teams. Well, and but we've obviously seen that Laval, when they play an inferior opponent, they can put up points. Like Montreal is a, is a top team as well. When you see Laval beat them in the Dunsmore Cup, fourteen to one, no one should be questioning. Oh, Laval doesn't have a good offense. It's just those are just two 
strong defensively minded teams battling each other. So what will be interesting to see is we can see Laval can put up points. How will Western handle it if this does turn out to be a bit of a gritty, more defensive battle? De defensively, Western, as you went over the players, they are stacked. But that defensive performance is normally coupled with their offense putting up big points as well. So I, I just, I'm curious how that's going to play out if it turns out to be a low-scoring affair. Yeah, I mean, I think Western can win any kind of game. I think they can win a sort of a low-scoring affair game. I think they can win a high-flying game. But I think, obviously, I don't, I don't really predict Laval being able to shut down Western's offense. And I don't predict Western's defense to be able to completely shut down Laval's offense. I mean, I think they'll do a very good job against them. I don't, don't think Laval will have played a defense this good this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Montreal is pretty good. So, when those two teams play each other, when Laval and Montreal play each other, it's just like it's like Rams locking horns. You know what I mean? They're just no, I'm gonna beat you by just being more physical. No, I'm gonna beat you by being more physical. Yeah. And they just sort of they don't. It's not really creative in its in its game flow and the way they sort of set stuff up offensively. They just try to run each other over yeah. for sixty <laughs> minutes, and I love that. But yeah. that's just not you know. That's that's not the way Western's going to play. Western's going to be creative and and get guys open through scheme as well as through great blocking and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I expect I expect this to be sort of a, a little closer than last year, but I still think Western's going to take it. Yeah, I mean that home field advantage is going to be so interesting because obviously last year at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, as I think you commented earlier on, or maybe just in a conversation we had, that Laval still seemed like they had more fans than Western did at that game, despite the obvious geographical uh, relation Hamilton has to uh, London as opposed to Quebec City. But this one, in the heart of Laval country, in Quebec City, I, you know, in the cold, all those factors are going to make it so interesting to see how it plays out. And I'm, I'm just really curious to see, like, I, I, could see what, I, I could see Western winning it in a number of fashions. I could see Laval. I just, I'm just so excited for this game to happen. Um, that uh, I I can't stand it. Um, well, then we should just stop right now and see everyone next week at the fifty-five. Imagine if we just stopped <laughs> on that. That would have been so abrupt. Someone somewhere was like, "Oh, okay." I just took their headphones out right then and it's done with it. Like, no, we have time left. But there is not much more for us to say. Next week we'll be discussing, I guess, <laughs> the results of the game probably and the all Canadian stuff, and then we'll keep you informed of any updates we have in the head coaching searches for the OUA teams but otherwise shoot man maybe we'll do some post-mortems on teams and talk yeah. about sort of where the season went right or went wrong and what to look forward to who's graduating well two weeks from now we're gonna have a lot of a lot of airtime to discuss all those things on our yeah. hands so we can get into how are we gonna how are we gonna fill two hours with no games we'll, we'll have to find out we'll just have to start just making up false rumors and we'll just you know get the ball rolling it'll be great idea ACG in your ears oh god Oh, no. Not in my ears. No. <laughs> but uh, that uh, that will wrap it up for us here today. Hope you enjoy the Vanier Cup. If you're in the uh, Quebec region, make it out to that game. Heck, travel. Make the trip if you if you want to anyways. I mean, why? It's going to be a fantastic. Quebec City is amazing. Yeah, it's a fantastic place. Well, even better after they paint the town purple. Oh, well, we'll have to see. We'll be here next week to tell you all about it. A la 55.